Hello, 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 and welcome in. Welcome in, everybody, to episode number 62 of the Sports Kiki Podcast. My name, as always, is Alex Reamer. It is uh, about 40 degrees and snowing here in Boston in the middle of April, so we have that going for us. Uh, So that's great. Great way to get going here on the weekend. Uh, But of course, listening to an OutSports podcast. Wow, what a way to get your weekend started. That's what I say. You can find the Sports Kiki wherever you can find your favorite OutSports shows. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We have a new uh, episode that's released six out of seven days per week. Uh, We keep you entertained with fresh stuff every day except Sunday because that's the Lord's Day and we couldn't possibly release a gay podcast on the day of rest. But today's a Saturday, so we're all good. And I'm very excited about my guest this week. Jalen Messersmith is a gay basketball player who's gone from a Christian college in Kansas to living in New York City in Fire Island. It's a great story. I can't wait to tell you about Jalen. I'll do that in a moment. But first, I do want to dish real quick on the big gay story of the week, and that is Colton Underwood, who has publicly come out. Uh, He is a former Bachelor contestant. This was big news. For our purposes, he's also a former NFL prospect. He had practice squad stints with the Eagles and Raiders just last year. Underwood insisted he wasn't gay. These gay rumors have dogged him for a number of years, including when he was on The Bachelor. Uh, On Wednesday, he said this to Robin Roberts, words that I think almost every LGBTQ person can relate to. I've ran from myself for a long time. I've hated myself for a long time, Underwood said. So... Congratulations to Colton Underwood. Whenever you come to realize your truth, it's a great moment. It should be a liberating moment. Uh, The weight is lifted off your shoulders. All that good stuff. And uh, it's good to see Colton Underwood finally publicly living his truth. But I will say, uh, the more I read about Colton Underwood, I do have some questions. And admittedly, I didn't really know much about him before This announcement on Wednesday, I don't watch The Bachelor. I'm not interested in The Bachelor. It's a show where women court The Bachelor, right? And since I'm not involved with that, I don't really have an interest in seeing it play out. Um, Gay Bachelor, maybe I would watch, but probably not. It seems kind of cheesy. Though not as cheesy as a show about coming out with a gay guide. (laughs) I'll talk about that in a second. But Colton Underwood, a couple of things that got a lot of people going this week. So he did come out, that's great, but there were a lot of issues with Underwood and his ex-girlfriend, this woman, uh, Cassie Randolph, who was the the Bachelorette, right? Who, or that's a different show, Bachelorette. Is that what they call the contestants on The Bachelor? Don't know, don't really care. But she did win, and she was dating Colton Underwood, but they had a breakup, and Underwood put tracking devices uh, in her car, And she also had to issue a restraining order against him. So that's not cool, and that's pretty inexcusable. Underwood did apologize to Randolph, saying he messed up and made a lot of bad choices. And obviously, being closeted is a tormenting experience. I can't even imagine what it's like if you're closeted and in the public eye as this hunky straight bachelor. (laughs) I mean, talk about living a lie and living a very public lie. So... I'm sure Underwood has had a lot of demons in his mind, and he had a very emotional interview with Robin Roberts, saying he came to this realization about himself during quarantine, and he's finally ready to live his true life, and 
That's all good, as I mentioned, but he also is an adult, and we'll have to see how he carries himself going forward, because this is certainly not cool, putting a tracking device on your ex's car. Um, And it also was kind of curious that within about one hour of his coming out announcement, we find out that there's a Netflix series in the works involving Underwood with Gus Kenworthy serving as his gay guide. I mean, talk about cheesy ideas. What the hell does that mean? Is he going to learn how to say Yas Queen? Is he going to wear tight jeans? Is Gus Kenworthy going to download Grindr for Colton Underwood? What's that going to be like? I mean, I don't know. Gay guide? Sounds like somebody writes for The Bachelor. A straight show came up with that. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how that turns out. Um, but that's the Colton Underwood story. Now time for the Jalen Messersmith story. Who is Jalen Messersmith? Well, he came out in an OutSports story in 2013. Uh, He went to Benedictine Benedictine College in Kansas. That is a small uh, Christian liberal arts school. ESPN once described him as a 6'7 shop-blocking specialist. We'll have to find out if that's in his Grindr profile, speaking of Grindr. Uh, He was a great basketball player, leading his conference in blocks, and his team to the NAIA Division I National Championship. That's the National Association of Intercollegiate Athletics. And Messersmith, after coming out, spent his first summer as an openly gay man on Fire Island. He returned to campus as an emboldened man, an emboldened gay, nothing more dangerous than that, an emboldened gay. And he actually hung a rainbow flag from his dorm room And got himself into some trouble in his school. The school president called the flag ugly, demanded Messersmith take it down. We had that story in 2014 on OutSports. So we're catching up with Jalen. He's become uh, a bit of a quasi-gay social media celebrity. He has thousands of followers on Instagram and Twitter. So I talked to Jalen about his gay journey, his time on Fire Island, his time living in New York, his relationship with sports now his feelings on the whole gaze over COVID thing since he was on Fire Island last summer and plans to get back there again this summer uh, and the effects that COVID has had on gay men and gay social life in general. It's something I've written about a few times before. It's something we've talked about a bit on this podcast over the last year. And I think the longer and longer we endure this, this semi-quasi-lockdown state, and I know that vaccination numbers are going up and that's great, In my native state of Massachusetts, they continue to be good, but yet you can't even sit in a coffee shop still, even if you wanted to. In my great city of Boston, I I don't know when bars will reopen. There's still no timeline for that. So I still think we have a long way to go before we can get really any semblance of our normal lives back. Hopefully I'm wrong, Uh, but it's, uh, it's tough because obviously there are far greater things to lose than nights out. We've lost well over half a million Americans, millions upon millions of livelihoods. But for gay men, these big social events, parties, summers, this is stuff that we all really look forward to. And it's stuff that we need. You know, we feel disconnected in so many aspects of our everyday lives. Going to a hot underwear party in Fire Island Pines, that's where we belong, damn it. No, really. Those, 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 are, those are important experiences. So I talked to Jalen a lot about that as well. So here it is. Sports Kiki, episode number 62. Jalen Messersmith is coming up on the other side. Thank you, as always, for listening. 
And welcome back. It is the Sports Kiki Podcast. As I mentioned, uh, it's not very often that we have someone on the show who ESPN once described as a six foot seven shot blocking specialist. We'll see if that's in his grinder profile. Uh, Jalen Messersmith. Uh, <laughs> is that in your j- grinder profile? Be. It, it sh- should be. And now that you brought that up, I'm definitely going to put it in there. Um, so everyone knows that, yes, I have indeed been on ESPN.com. So. <laughs> Do you think the word shot blocking specialist would mean anything to the grinder grid or? Well, you know, it would give me something else to talk about besides my height, you know, and <laughs> maybe I would find someone who understood basketball and knew what that meant, but it would most likely lead to me people being like, what's a shot blocker? What is a specialist? I just don't understand, you know? Yes. Or there's a lot of innuendo we could go with as well. Per usual, uh, but, <laughs> there the, is lots of but you know, my parents listen sometimes. So, um, so I wanted to start here my with parents. hello, mom and dad. They're big fans. Yeah. I've talked about my grinder life on the radio. They, they've been subjected to a lot, unfortunately, my poor mom and dad. I see that. Um, <laughs> so you played basketball at Benedictine college in Kansas, a very small liberal arts Catholic school. Um, what your your dean of students made you take down a rainbow flag once, right? That was hanging out of your room. Oh, see, there's there it's complex, right? Because when I came out, it was like cool. Everybody was really cool with it. My co- my coaching staff and my team itself were like really amazing, super supportive, and like all for it. Um, I did the Outsport story, and then started to get some of the other ones, like USA Today, Associated Press. We talked about ESPN. Like some of those started writing stories, and I actually got a call from my coach that was like, "Hey, so we fully support you, but I just want to let you know that like the school is getting like 50% like people who support you and 50% people who don't support you, and just take with that information as you will." And it was basically telling me like, "Hey, could you calm down with the stories?" And I was like, wow. you know. I've done enough. I felt good about it. I, I didn't do it for like the fame. I didn't do it for the stories. I literally did it. So if someone wanted to do it after me, they would have someone to look to. Right. So I was like, cool. I'm cool with that. I'll stop talking about it, whatever. Um, but then I ended up living on fire Island for a summer and came back and felt really bold and said, I'm going to hang a pride flag in my window and that did not go well. That was definitely something I had to fight for. And I fought for and won. So, you know. <laughs> he called it ugly, though, right? In the campus paper? <laughs> yes. So what happened is, like, I hung it in my window. And then I, maybe, like, 12 hours later, I got an email from the dean saying, hey, this is in your window. We're going to need you to take it down. Um, it's against, like, school policy, which I, like, had to fight. And then... I took it down for a second, but then put it right back up because me and my mom talked about it. And she was like, no, they have no right, whatever. Then I had a conversation with like two deans and they sat me down. I was supposed to only meet with one and then it ended up being two of them. They kind of cornered me and like told I told them like my intention. I was like, if there's other gay people on campus, I want them to know that there's a space they can go to. Um, I'm just trying to like express diversity and especially in a small Catholic school, like he was just trying to help people, you know, and they were very against it. And we're like, no, we don't want that. We don't want that. Then one of my friends who was on the school newspaper wrote an article that got my perspective, my roommate's perspective, right. the dean's perspective and the president's perspective. And the dean and the president both said stupid shit, truly said right. stupid things. And like, 
called it ugly, said they didn't know what it was for, said that it was a distraction to the homecoming game. And then I had Sid write that article and the article on Outsports that kind of reviewed that art, um, the article my friend wrote. And then it started getting traction. And within 12 hours of that story, I got an email that basically said, we never meant to force you to take down the flag. It's blah, 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 all this bullshit. Mm-hmm, so I kept mm-hmm. it up the rest of, this, rest of the year, you know? I love it. I love covering it. Themselves. Um, so, so you talked about it a little bit, but, well, first let me circle back to that too. So you're already out to your team. It was going great. But then as you got some more yeah. media coverage, it started to change a little bit. And I'm also curious, so you go, you go do your, your first summer on Fire Island and you come back. Did you feel like more emboldened than you did the year before? Totally. Yeah. yeah. So what happened is I came out. I, so my freshman year, I had a teammate that died. And so right. that kind of shook me to my core. And that was what kind of pushed me out of the closet. Not that I was like pushed out, but like it made me realize I needed to be my true self. So I came out to them at the beginning of my sophomore year. And then at the end of the sophomore year is when that story was written. And then I spent all of my like junior year, like living, doing my normal stuff in um, Kansas City or north of Kansas City. And then I got, yeah, you're right. I went to Fire Island for that summer between my junior and senior year and like came back and was like, I'm a homosexual. Fuck the rest of this. I love this. I'm going to do whatever, whatever I want to do. You know, it was great. Did your relationship change with your teammates? Um, I don't think so. Honestly, they, That's good. when I came back and like was talking about, because I, the fire island experiences was something that none of them had ever experienced either. And so they were just more intrigued by it. Yeah. My team was really cool about the whole thing to be completely honest. That's awesome. Team was cool. Yeah. Dean was not. Um, mm-hmm. so, so yeah. So in general, I mean, you're, you're a homeschooled kid growing up for a few years. You're raised in a Mormon mm-hmm. house. Um, and then you wind up living in New York city and falling in love with fire Island. Uh, did it happen instantly? So I, the funny story about fire Island too, is I had never been to New York period um, yeah. because I did grow up Mormon. We were very specific about our um, vacations and where we went. So went to Utah a lot. That but your parents, excuse me, but your parents though, were cool with you being gay and even growing up though, your church may have not been, they always said how you know, cool that they would be. Right. Yeah, my mom had kind of like hinted at it, and she, yeah. I'm sure she knew that I was like the gay kid, and my, they, they both are now super supportive, and it took a second to kind of like key into that, but yeah, they, they had gotten a divorce, so neither of them were in the church when I came out, and so that also was helpful. Ah, got it. Got yeah, it. got it. And so, so I actually, so I was in doing my thing right, and living in. Um, Atchison, which is the middle of nowhere, Kansas, and was on Scruff one day. And this guy randomly messaged me and was like, hey, have you ever heard of Fire Island? And I was like, no, um, what's this <laughs> thing that you speak of, right? And so he started telling me a little bit about it and invited me originally to come out and um, just come for like a pool party and come for a weekend just to see what it was like, you know? And I was like super fascinated, had never heard of the any of these like small gay communities like Fire Island or Provincetown or Palm Springs or any of those sort of things. So then a couple weeks later, I was sitting in a um, study hall and he messaged me and he was like, hey, do you have a second to talk? Um, And I was like, sure. So he calls me and he's like, what are you doing with your summer? 
And I was like, I'm looking for a summer internship. Um, and I was applying at like Northwestern Mutual, which would have been a horrible thing to do. Oh, God. But like, I was like, just trying to find something yeah. I needed it to graduate. And he was like, well, why don't you come out to Fire Island and I'll have you intern for me and you can like live here. We'll, and what he did is he was a developer in the Hamptons. So we would go from Fire Island to the Hamptons, help set up like build sites, dig holes, clean like stuff, do all the, do all the nitty gritty. I took phone calls, drove, those sort of things. Um, and so he offered me that job and I said, okay. And like three or four weeks later, got on a plane, came to fire Island and the rest was history. <laughs> and what did you think you were getting yourself into and how did that compare with the reality? Honestly, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, I kind of have just taken at that point, I had taken this like life on where I will say yes to anything and just be like, you know what, if the universe is going to give me an opportunity, I might as well see what the opportunity is. Um, and I knew that if like it was weird or if I didn't want to be there, I could definitely come home. Right. And like I could have been in Kansas City anyway. So I said, why not go and try it and see what it is? Um, and it ended up being one of the best things I've ever done. Honestly, I've met some of the most amazing people in my life who have become like lifelong friends. Um, and a lot of like gay people in different generations as well right. so like i was able to see how people have like lived different ways in new york how people yeah. have different careers how they overlap on each other and gotten to see um gay people who were super successful which wasn't right. necessarily something i'd been like privy to previous right like in kansas city like your gay life is very limited. You are very specific. I mean, in general, right? But then moving to New York, you are able to see all these people who have done anything from being like a hedge fund manager to a the I know the director, the old director um, at the DNC. Like, there's so many cool people that I got to meet um, and experience, and so it was, it was it was an amazing amazing zone. Yeah, and I think that's, like, very unique to the gay community, like, our ability to bond through generations. Like, one of my best friends is in his early 40s, and I'm 28, and that's totally cool. And I feel like any straight people I know, that's just not something that they do, really. No, and I, I have, honestly, I have a bunch of friends who are in their 50s and 60s, yeah. and I call them my board of advisors. Right, um, I, I, it's super, the same thing. Yes, exactly. It's, like, super helpful. It's amazing to have people who have gone through, like, similar experiences, have the same, like, view set on the world, and are able to kind of bounce off of. Um, because it's not, again, it's not something we were privy to. It's not something that, like, we were told was possible. I didn't know that there were all these people living these different lives, you know? Yeah. And so I was doing some Instagram stalking of you and uh, you wrote this quote that I think th that did resonate with me. You said, uh, okay. reminiscing about your time on Fire Island, you said, I no longer felt like mm -hmm. I was trapped. I had been freed from the chains of the straight world and was ready to jump in. That's how I feel about Provincetown. I'm curious, yeah. what, was th what was the first time you felt that feeling on Fire Island? What was it? So I, on Fire Island, I play a lot of sand volleyball and I play with my older friends, right? There's, it's funny because there's two different nets on the beach on Fire Island. There's one net where you can go and play and play by the rules and it's very competitive. And there's another net where it's like, fun boys, we do our thing. Um, and I think it was at that net that I started to realize like, oh, these people are just here to have fun and really like connect. And like, 
there isn't any sort of like strings attached to this. There isn't anything that people are trying to get out of me. Mm -hmm. There isn't something that I need to like deliver. Right. And like, I don't need to be the stereotypical like jock here. I don't need to be the stereotypical person who has been in a relationship, has kids, has a home. Like I can be whoever I want to be and show up to this court and people will support that. And being able to go and then the people that I met at like volleyball, then we'll go and have a drink and then you'll go and sit with them at dinner and have these really amazing, like deep conversations. And that like slowly pulled away at those, again, those chains where I thought, Oh, I have to live my life this way. I have to do this X, Y, and Z. Otherwise I'm not going to be successful. Right. Whereas on fire Island, it showed me you could do ABC LMNOP and do whatever you want and still get to the end of life and still be very successful. And this big realization came while you were playing beach volleyball. It did. It wow. did. It had, it definitely was one of those moments where I was like, because I was in my speedo, I was in yes. a really solid spot with people that I was doing something I love, right? Like playing sports and um, being super active and was able to like really see that there are other people who do that. And it doesn't have to be a very masculine specific thing, right? Like doing the basketball stuff, I loved it, but it is a very specific type of vibe. Everyone is yeah. like one way and you're kind of like cut into a specific type of um, thing. Whereas on the beach with all these gays, there are some people who know how to play and there's some people who don't. Yeah. And the people who don't are the people I keep right next to me so I can cover for them. <laughs> so the, the big giant gay can cover with them, you know? Exactly. exactly. Or pink giant gay, rather. Um, I want to talk about pink that too. <laughs> what is the um, what is the relationship like with sports now and how is it different than when you were in college? So my relationship with sports is interesting because I spent the last, I would say probably like four or five years playing a ton of volleyball and really getting into like the volleyball community in New York because there's a really solid like gay volleyball network. Yeah. Um, and then that built into being able to travel around with NAGVA, which is the um, National Volleyball Association. So like I got to go all over the country playing in different tournaments with different types of people. Um, I did take a break from basketball for a minute because <laughs> In college, it was like controlled everything, you know, like it was the only thing I was focused on. Everything was functioned around that. They built my schedule. They did everything. So now I'm starting to have a relationship with sports where like I still build a lot of my schedule around it. I still get to do all these things, but I'm playing with people I want to play with. Mm -hmm. I'm playing and doing things that I want to do and not necessarily like what someone's specifically telling me to do, you know? I'm wondering if you look back at basketball because I was reading the story you did with Jim in 2013 and you said that your coming out mm -hmm. story and you said that you the more you were bullied growing up, the more you would bury yourself kind of in basketball. And that's where you channeled your passion. Um, and, you know, kind of similar for me in that that was like sports writing for me. I always wanted to be a sports writer and just I didn't really have a personal identity. So and I didn't want to even think about what it would be. So I just always channeled myself into my career full force. And now looking back, like I took a new job recently, sports writing, and it's it's different kind of redefining my relationship with sports because in one hand, I do love them. But on the other hand, it does kind of remind me of a time in my life I would prefer not to revisit. Do you have any of those feelings about basketball? I do. I think that's kind of why I don't play it as much as I used yeah. to and why I sometimes still I am I'm actually now getting to a point where I can look at basketball and I'm like, 
you know what? I actually do want to play that again. I do want, like, I want to. And I, cause I think for a long time, like you said, I funneled all of my like negative energy into basketball because it was the one place I could go that no one was like coming at me. No one was telling me or making fun of me. No one was doing anything. Like they just let me play and do my thing. And so I think for a long time it was that outlet and it's hard to shift that away from it being an outlet, but I I'm at a spot now where I feel like I am more myself. I am more comfortable with everything that I want to be. And so like the sports are just an addition instead of it being my whole like personality trait. Yeah. Yeah. So you still go to fire Island every summer. I do. I'm addicted. I'm going in, um, a week and a half, actually. Oh. Um, some of my friends are opening their house, and so we're going out. We're setting everything up and getting it ready to go. Fine. I am, I'm, I'm so – I got to spend, like, most of July last year on Fire Island, which was such a blessing because there was so much going on in the world, and it was a place that I got to be with my, like, closest um, community and, like, be really solid and still be really safe and in our pod and everything, but still get to enjoy being outside, playing volleyball, that sort of thing. I was going to ask you, what was it like last summer? It was honestly, so the thing that sucked is that there was like the July 4th moment and we got all of that national press about this being Fire Island being this place where people were partying, all that sort of thing, which I hated because that wasn't the case, right? Like there were people out there who were taking advantage of it, but there were so many people who were dedicated to wearing masks, being socially distant, sticking with your pods and like we're living out there full time because they didn't want to be in the city. And so like there was a lot of really amazing um, energy that was on the island because everyone was there full weeks, which most people are only there for weekends. And so people started to see what it was like to be on the island for an extended amount of time, which is always my favorite. Like middle of the week is like so much fun because you never know who's there. You never know what kind of dinners you get. And those are where you'll like sit and you'll actually talk people um so i think a lot of people started to see that and a lot of people got the experience that i got on those first couple of summers where i spent all of my time there uh so i did not see you in any gaze over covid pictures then no Um, you wouldn't have found me even if you wanted even at six seven very responsible (laughs) i guess at six seven you can't really hide right so I can. And that's, I think that's the one of the things is like, I know that I'm visibly present in a lot of ways. So I knew that I needed to be on top of myself and be like, you need to wear your mask. You need to go and be responsible. And like, I took that to heart and really like tried as hard as I could. But I mean, you mentioned, it. I mean, what did you think in, about all that gaze over COVID stuff? <sighs> you know, I don't, it's like this like weird middle ground where I think, there was some, there's some, like, I don't, I didn't even think I could say there was some positive that there no. was, there's some reason and some like thought behind why that was important and like yeah. keeping our community on top of it and like yeah. making sure that we are um, doing the things that we need to do. That, although started to turn into this really toxic, like cancel culture kind of thing. And like, I just don't, I don't vibe with that. I think there's, again, you should hold people responsible for what they're doing, but you shouldn't like come after their entire life for one mistake, you know? Yeah. I think when you start tagging people's like work, that's where it gets uh, yeah. into the not so good. And I just think, I mean, honestly, it's just, uh, it's what's amazing to me is it just how we're such a nation of just posters. Like, you know, a lot of the people mm-hmm. who are getting dragged on that could have avoided being dragged by, even if they were, 
going to a rave, you know, just don't post it on Instagram, you know, then you won't. Yeah. Conversely, though, all these gays over COVID people, they're doing it for the social media likes, too. You know, I mean, they're yeah. not they're not doing yeah. it to, to be real vigilant. You know, they, they, you can mess they can message you privately if they really were concerned. So it's right. just was everyone was doing it for the show. And uh, and I don't know, it'll be interesting to see what happens this summer, because, I mean, I'm vaccinated and I, I plan on having a damn good summer. So same. And I, I feel the same way. And I think it's not the same sort of situation, right? Like, I think a lot of people are going to be vaccinated. A lot of people are going to just be living their lives normally. And I think we have that right, right? Like a lot of us did spend the last year in our apartments, um, socially distanced, wearing masks, doing what we needed to do. And so like, I see it as like, we've earned the right, especially if you're vaccinated and you've done the right thing, you've earned the right to then do what you want to do and like return to some sort of semblance of uh, normalcy yeah and and for us that means going out you know i mean i i've lost yeah. years of my life and i think mo- most gays have and you know it, it's it, totally. it's we've all lost so much and i don't think that it's like only trivial to say like yeah obviously there are far greater things to lose than nights out but that's still important i mean at least at least it is to me um so no, i think it's really important it's i went to my first drag show last night in a year and because, well, outside of the ones that I watched on Zoom and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. But, like, being in a bar with people and, like, watching drag and, like, having those sort of experiences is massive. It, it adds to you in so many ways. It gives you so much perspective. And so you're right. We have lost out on a year worth of nights out. And, like, obviously, like, there are moments where, like, everybody, like, nights out can get messy, but there is a lot that you can learn from people, and there's a lot that you can gain in the community. Um, and so I'm excited to start going back and excited to start, like, being a part of that community again. You know, we're old. We're 28. We gotta, I know. We're, like, reaching our uh, 30s, and then Gay. we're not going to be the cute young ones anymore, you know? I know. Gays die. We die at 35, so we have about seven years <laughs> left. Um, were you always... Like, so when you first came out, were you also down to go to drag shows or did you get more comfortable with all that stuff over time? I definitely got more comfortable with that over time. I still was, I think, honestly, that first summer on Fire Island, it it really did change my perspective on a lot of things because I was forced to be faced with a lot of that, right? And I was like, oh, these are all these different pieces of the gay community and, like, things I had been like I seen and I kind of like tipped my toe into but like being there actually like made me do some of that because I was a little nervous I didn't understand drag culture I didn't understand what was going on with it I didn't I didn't know and now that I know oh my god I'll be at a drag show every single night sign me up I'm ready to go yeah it's awesome but it took me a while too to get to that point Mm -hmm. um but it's great fun what's your drag name (sighs) okay so for a long time, I wanted it to be Michaela Jordan, and okay. I would do like very basketball like yeah, okay. related things. Very butch, um, yeah. Do some like hand. Uh, I know, very butch. I don't know what it would be these days. I haven't thought about it enough. Um, but yeah, it was Michaela Jordan at one point, which is so. I like it. It is what it is. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> what? So uh, tell me about your social media business. Uh, you have a cool. Um, yeah, so I just started um, doing so because. I am a software engineer, but I before I did um, the boot camp that I took and started getting into that, I was in consulting and my like main thing was social media. And so I've started to pick up some like clients and do some like stuff on the side. 
Um, and right now I have, I'm working with one of my friends who just released a cookbook. And so I do his social, which is great. Um, but I'm starting to pick up more clients and do that as well. It's a lot of fun. I mean, social media is great because you can build communities and you can start to meet people and like set up all these different things. And so the more and more I get into it, the more and more, um, it becomes this very like beneficial thing. So you think social media can be beneficial. There are good things that can come from it. Totally. But there are also things that you have to be aware of and like what is happening and who you're investing in. Right. Like it is you do have to be cautious because it's not all good. And there's not everyone on the Internet is not always trying to do positive things like we were talking about with no. over COVID. Um, <laughs> Certainly there's, not. there's a lot of like people who are using it as a like a vehicle of negativity and a vehicle to keep people down. But there is a lot of things that. I, I have learned and I've met a ton of people through social media. I have, I mean, that's how I originally got some of the stories out there and got to meet some of those people was through social media. Um, and so I think it's super important. I, even right now, on have you ever done a Twitter space? A Twitter space? Yeah. I have, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so Twitter just released these new things called Twitter spaces okay. and it's essentially like this chat room where oh, wow. you, I host it and then I can have 10 people speak and then the rest of the room can be filled with listeners. And oh. I've been doing that a lot in the last couple of weeks and it's brought these really amazing conversations to the forefront with a lot of queer people that follow me and I follow that I wouldn't have had previous to that. Oh, really? And like, there will be like a hundred people in the room listening to us talk about um, racial inequalities, queer, um, queer movements, things that we want to see in the world, how we were going to progress things, where we send our money, how we send our energy. Um, and it's been fascinating to see that even. Um, and one of the great things, too, is like on Twitter, there's a lot of like sex workers who are have their only fans pages and things like that. And yeah. I've had a lot been very lucky to have a couple of people who are in that business come and have conversations with me and have conversations with the people that are speaking and like really talk through some of the stigma that comes with that and some of the things that we want to see. And it honestly has changed the way that I view a lot of things. So social media wow. has brought a lot of these conversations to the forefront that I would have never had in person. How I can, would never have been able to connect it to. How can I find these chats? How can someone, you sound great. Um, so they happen every once every, like, I try to not do them every night because I don't want to be on my phone all of the time, but I do them pretty regularly. And my um, Twitter handle is pink giant, giant pink gay, pink giant gay. Hold on. I have it in front me. of me. You're pink giant gay. <laughs> pink giant gay. Um, yeah. And so like, if you come on there, it, it'll pop up on the top with where like the fleets are, there'll be like a purple little, um, like almost uh, circle looking thing and you just click on it and you join a space. That's awesome. That's that's super cool. Um, Pink Giant Gay on Twitter, at Jalen Messersmith on Instagram. Uh, Jalen, mm -hmm. thanks for coming on, man. This was fun. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate uh, the conversation. So thank you for tuning in to episode number 62 of the Sports Kiki Podcast. And again, thanks to Jalen Messersmith for taking the time and coming on the show this week. As always, I love hearing from the Sports Kiki people out there. If you want to get in touch with me, the best way to do that is on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at AlexReamer1. That, again, is at AlexReamer1. Against my better judgment, my DMs are open. So, so long, and we'll talk to you next Saturday. Talk to you later.